what, let's, ask, let's ask the question, not how do we pray, but what's key, what keeps us from praying? What's that? Fear or disappointment? What else? Okay, good. Disappointment. I mean, that's the reality. Disappointment. What else? What are things that keep us from praying? What, what keeps us from that, that, that initial stepping into prayer? Okay, laziness, busyness. All right. Good honesty. It's true, right? What else? Too self-sufficient. What else? What keeps us from prayer? These are all the things that we're going to be hitting on this year. So what else? Let's keep, what keeps us from prayer? What keeps you from reaching out and trusting that God wants to hear you? Okay? Not thinking highly. Feeling a sense of unworthiness. What else? Okay? Repetitive. Being repetitive. What else? Yep. Not believing that's going to make a difference. What else? Anything else? million things on our mind. Okay, what else? Feeling distant from God. Feeling distant from God. Think about all these things, Nairi. Um, fear, of the fear of the answer. Okay, man, I got a lot of studying to do. Okay, this is good stuff. What's that? Selfish. Okay. Think of all these things. Think of all these things. Not knowing how. Think of all these things. Let me bring up two that no one mentioned. Guilt and shame. How many times have we not gone to God because we feel unworthy? That God will not hear us. And so even though we may pray and have this, this time of repetitive, you know, repetitive words over and over and over again, there's, there's always that sense in us that, that is there something that I've done? Guilt or shame? And I think for the vast majority of all of us, there are points in our journey of faith that guilt and shame keep us from trusting that God hears us. Now, let me just say this real quickly. There's two forms of guilt and shame. One is guilt and shame that someone else put on us. So if someone has ever been wounded or abused or hurt, that guilt and shame is something that someone has put on, that someone else put on them. But there's also guilt and shame that we carry that there are things in our life that we have done or participated in that God is unable to hear us. And so why would we waste God's time? Anyone ever feel that way? Anyone? I felt that way. That was the beginning journey of my faith. And, and yes, there's reasons why, but the reality is, is that guilt and shame are often the starting points of why people don't pray. Yes, the idea that God will not hear. Yes, the sense is, am I really worthy will step in. Yes, the idea of, of this repetitive nature of, I keep saying the same thing over and over and over again. But it's funny how we're going to see in Scripture, in the very beginning of Scripture, that the first issue that all of humanity has with going to a loving, trusting, caring, gracious, kind God is humanity's guilt and shame. But here's what I want to do this morning, and I pray this happens. I pray. I've been praying about this, that, that we would look at a passage of Scripture like we never we've seen before. Now, the reason why I ask that question, what keeps us from prayer, 
is because everything you said are things that we're going to be hitting on all throughout this year. But turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. I told you that we were going to look at men and women all throughout the Scripture who have a communication with God that God hears them and responds to them. And my thought is, what better place to start than in the beginning? So turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. It's the first book of the Bible. What page is it on if you have a... uh, What's that? Four. Wow, it's really the beginning. On page four, turn with me, but let me give you background. Let me give you background. God created the heavens and the earth. And He created the sky and the birds and the waters and the land. And then He created animals and beings and and creatures that roam the world. Everything we see. And then God created humanity. And it says in Scripture that God created humanity in His image. Think about that. God created humanity in His image. Humanity is the image bearer of God. The image bearers of God are not animals and trees. Yes, we see the Creator in these things, but the image bearer of God are you and me. And so as he saw man, he saw that man was lonely. And as he was lonely, he created a helpmate for him. And you see, oftentimes in old school church, we like to think, well, well God kind of created him out, uh, you know, the woman out of dust. Let's remember, he created man out of dust. He created man out of nothing. Us men were created out of nothing. But when he saw that man was alone and it was not good, he took from his side his helpmate. Come here, honey bun. Okay, not you, Eddie. I wasn't pointing at you, honey bun. It's my honey bun. He created a helpmate. Not that I can lord over her, but that she would walk beside me in the cool day, in the darkness of night. You go have a seat. Good job. But that's how he created humanity. And as he created humanity, he said, Go roam the earth. And the word that he says that go till the earth, go work the earth, that word in Hebrew is actually go play. Do you realize that? When God created Adam and Eve and he said, tend the garden, till the ground, work the land, that word work is actually go play. Go have fun. I created you to do this. And we're thinking work is fun. Work is not play. Work stinks. But that's what he said. He said, go work. Go play. Take care of the creation that I created for you. But he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to allow you to do everything and anything you want. Really? Yeah, what a good God. God's awesome. Except for one thing. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, This is a mystery that we'll never comprehend. A mystery we will never, ever, ever comprehend. We can spell it away. We can think it away. We can theologically, you know, give our reasons. And and don't don't certain people love to do that. But the reality is, is we will never know that answer until we get to heaven. We can make assumptions. We can make these, these great, you know, theological expectations of why. But God said for some reason, do not eat. Don't eat. Eat everything else. Check out the bananas. Check out the peaches. Check out everything. But when we think about the, uh, that tree, what do we think of? 
the apple, right? I don't even like apples. I'd be like, dude, I don't even want to go to the apple tree. I'm going to go hang out with the peaches, right? But we all know peaches come from a can, right? Yeah, all you 90 rockers out there. There you go. But in that, in that, Adam and Eve, we have no idea how long it took. We kind of think it was like day two, day three, and, you know, but we have no idea. We don't know the span of time. But they worked the earth and they played and they frolicked. And as they frolicked, something took place. Chapter 3. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals. First of all, I hate snakes. And people think it's funny when they throw like rubber snakes in my office or when I go, uh, go away and they throw rubber snakes in my bed. Dude, there's nothing cool about that. One day, he asked the woman, Right? We need a little Satan voice. That's messed up. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Listen to his manipulation. Did he really say you can't eat fruit from any of the trees? I mean, think about it. Did he really say none of these trees you can't? What about over there? The mango tree. He really said you couldn't eat from there? Of course we're, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, stupid snake. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. But if you do, you will die. Listen to manipulation. You ever, you ever been manipulated into something? I mean, listen, listen, to, listen to like Slimy the snake. What does he do? He manipulates. He puts a thought in her head. You won't die, said Slimy the snake. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be, here's the key, like God. You see, Adam and Eve, and here's what we have to understand, is that we are image bearers of our created, of our creator. But we are not like him. We, ca- we carry the image of the creator, but we are not like him. It's a mystery we'll never know. It's a fa- something we will never fathom. But we can never be like him. Knowing both good and evil, the woman was convinced. So she saw, she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Now think about this for a second. Let's just look at this for one second. Satan took that fruit, and let's call it an apple, you know, Snow White. The snake went up to her. Slimy the snake went up to her and said, if you eat this, you will be like God. What does it mean to be like God? Personally thinking that you are all-knowing, being all-powerful, being in control of your destiny, and having zero accountability for your actions. You see, when I think about being like God, I think about having zero accountability for my actions. I'm like God. No one's going to tell me what to do. I can do whatever I want. How often do we fall into that trend? That we may say like, I'm not God, I didn't create, I'm not the creator, but how often is it that we don't, We want to be in control of our destinies. We don't want people to tell us we're wrong. And most importantly, we want zero accountability for our actions. 
You see, for me, that's what hits me when I think about being like God, is no one can tell me what to do. And that's what Eve said. God can't tell me what to do. He said I can eat from everyone except that one, but I'm going to eat the one that he told me not to. And so she ate it. And like all of us, whenever we do something that seems very exciting but mysterious, what do we do? We draw others in with us. And so here's what she did. After she ate it, then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And so as he saw this all being played out with the serpent and his wife, he fell into a place of temptation. And you know, we can, we, and the funny thing is two things. One, God specifically told Adam not to eat. Not Eve. Let's remember that. Men, we need to step up our game. God told Adam not to eat. And so how, how sneaky was it that the serpent went to the woman? And in that, what was the thing that caused him to cave? Peer pressure. He was in a group of two. And as he watched these two have this manipulating conversation, he stepped in. You know, temptation often happens because of peer pressure. And you know, we try to teach our kids about peer pressure and staying, staying away. You know, my son goes to high school and, and he went to a football game on Friday night and we all know what happens at football games on Friday night is what? They're drinking. They're doing things they shouldn't be doing. Things that can get them hurt and in trouble. And, and the reality is, I think some of us in here did that in high school. And it's hard for him because here he is, he's going to a high school that he's never been to before. And, and as he's with friends that aren't drinking, the larger crowd is. But fortunately, he stood strong. But in that, there's that peer pressure, that pulling. But what was the idea that if they ate it, they would be like who? God. So think about it. If they were going to bite into the, the apple, they are thinking, I will be able to see the beauty, the majesty, and the splendor of everything around. I will have full knowledge of everything that caused God to create this amazing universe, this amazing world, the, all of these creatures, and why He created the two of us. So this is what they're thinking. Again, let's come back to Snow White. You remember that whole, that whole picture? And I know most of the kids haven't seen it these days, but when she was ready, she was, she was dreaming of the man who was going to steal her away and rescue her and, and bring her to this amazing place and she was going to be the queen. But when she bit into it, something else happened. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Little tangent. All I could think about is little kids. One of the things is we were at a retreat yesterday for our leaders in our church and uh, Jeremy was paying the bill because we love to give the bill to Jeremy. And um, as we're paying the bill, this woman comes up and says, hey, I go to a CMA church too and my pastor's name is Jim, J Jim Barnes and all these different things. And, and she goes, what's your name? And I'm like, Rob Parker. She goes, Rob Parker? Really? Where are you from? 
I'm from down in North, you know, Bergen County. I said, yeah, you probably know my mom, Gail Parker, because everyone in the world knows Gail Parker. And she goes, I was your babysitter. I'm like, and so here's what I said to her, because we had, and Sue goes, you had a lot of babysitters growing up. I'm like, I had a lot of babysitters growing up. When you have seven boys, you need a lot of babysitters, okay? You corral the kids. But the one story that I remember being a child with a babysitter was, I was the youngest. I was probably three, and there was four, my parents had four under the age of five, just like Sue and I did. We're crazy. But in this, I'll never forget one day. We were there, and I don't know how I remember this, but we were there, and it was bath time. And all kids ages five and under jumped in the bath, and as she was washing us, big brother Doug's like, run. And four little kids ran out butt naked in Wyckoff on the front side lawn. And my older brother was old enough that he started lifting the other brothers into the tree. And I kid you not, I remember running for my life at the age of three for my life as, as this woman, Nancy, was chasing me, chasing me, and my brothers were on the tree going, run, run, run. Dude, there was no shame. I was in the buff. I was butt naked. And the funniest thing is that that woman, one time, she used to go to Cornerstone, this other babysitter who saw us butt naked. She goes, I can't watch you preach. All I think about is this little kid, butt naked, running around. And every time you start crying, I just see you na- running around naked. But that, there was no guilt or shame. No guilt or shame. Like this whole idea of nakedness is supposed to be awesome. Awesome. But why was it that the first thing that they recognized was they were nude? They were nude. Great way to say it. At that moment, their eyes were open. They suddenly felt shame for their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. That's a whole other story in itself, if you know anything about figs. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. For some reason, it was the first time that they didn't sense God's presence. And it was the first time that they identified Oh, shoot, here comes Big Papa. Here comes Big Papa. Then the Lord called to the man, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I did. I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? Adam, who told you you were naked? What a great question. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit is commanded you not to eat? Come here, honey bun. I do this to Sue all the time. And the man replied, she did it. It was the woman who gave me, who gave me the fruit and I ate it. She does that to me all the time, throwing me under the bus. Then the Lord asked the woman, Sue, what have you done? Sorry. And the serpent, And she said, the serpent deceived me. That's why I ate. Let me give you a quick illustration. Do you know about um, nine years ago, as the Iraqi war began, that the military created a pill, or was in the creation stages of creating a pill for a soldier to never sense guilt or shame. And the purpose was this. How many military people do we have here? One, two. 
They were in the creating, creation stages of creating a pill that when a soldier went to war, was in a firefight, had to do things that soldiers don't want to do, things that, that soldiers do not want to see, things that happen. You see, the biggest problem now with military is, yes, we have amputees and people are hurting, but, but it's here. It's that post-traumatic syndrome that they go through. But they wanted to create a pill that after a, after a firefight, they could give to the soldiers so they would have no guilt and shame. And they were moving. This is a, I'll give you the link to the story. It's unbelievable. But what happened, the reason they stopped it from going any further, because they asked the question, what happens when it leaks onto the streets? What happens when the murderer gets it? What happens when the rapist gets it? What happens when the molester gets it? What happens when the, when the warmongers find this? I mean, isn't that our tension of the Taliban? Don't they have any? I mean, think about what just happened in Nairobi. How many people were just slaughtered? And the first thing they said is, anyone who's Muslim, get out of the mall. Right now, there are, I think, 49 people held hostage in the mall. But their fear was, what happens if this gets into the wrong hands of humanity? You see, there's two things I want to bring up real quick. Is first, God went to them. You see, in our guilt and shame, we think that God hides from us and He's like, hey, don't let them put fig leaves together. I hate them. They are wrong. They are sinful. And we think that God purposely stays as far away as He can from us because of, because of our wretchedness. But here's what I want to say is that when you look at Genesis chapter 3, the very beginning, page stinking 4 in the Bible, God goes to humanity with the purpose of reconciliation. And He goes to them and He says, what have you done? What have you done? Have you ever felt guilt or shame? Because in our guilt and shame, our first reaction is this, to run and hide. But maybe what happened was with that tree, with them eating this, is this is not a theological discussion, but as I wrestled through this, this whole idea of guilt and shame is actually maybe, possibly, an indicator of how much more we need of God. God, I don't want to be naked. God, I don't want to feel like I'm covering my heart. God, I don't want to hide the things that you care about most, which is my honesty and transparency and my brokenness. But do we ever think that for some reason that tree was put there if humanity was to bite into it? Not as a way that they would be God-like, but how much more they would need God. You see, there are times in our life where conviction is heavy on us. There are times that we wrestle with things that we've done, things we've saw, things we've, we, we, we've been a part of, things that we've okayed, things that we've allowed to happen, things in our flesh that we just wish we never participated from. But it's in that moment that when this guilt and shame starts twinging, 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 that maybe actually that guilt and shame is saying, I love you. 
Don't hide. Come out from underneath the rock. Step away from the tree. But more important than that twinge and that pulling, it's actually God drawing near to you. You see, that's where prayer begins. It's knowing that God draws near. And He's not waiting for some special magical you know, prayer, but rather that you're saying, I'm carrying this, this thing that's my, my indicator, my switch, my light, of how much more I realize I am human, I am broken, I am messed up, and I need Him. You see, that's the beauty of guilt and shame. Not that we would live there, not that we would stay there, but we we have this sense and we need that indicator saying, is it real? And if it is, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. You see, we come from backgrounds or we come from a country whose, whose theology is actually let's, let's wail them on the face with their guilt. Let's wail them on the face with their shame. Let's show them how wrong and evil they actually are. But listen to the Apostle Paul after he, after he writes Romans chapter 1 and he hits some really hard stuff in Romans 1. Things that we don't like to identify, but yet it's truth. So that in our conviction, we experience this. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness, His kindness, His coming down and reaching out to Adam and Eve is intended, not was intended, but is intended to turn you from your sin. Simply, sin is anything that makes ourselves to want to be like God. That's it. And we love to glorify certain sin, but sin is sin. Not capital S, not lowercase s. Anything that God says, these things are going to keep you from me. And when we enter into those things, we're saying, we just want to be like you, God. We want the liberty. But it's His kindness that in our wrongdoing, He says, I'm going to you. And that's the point of Jesus. For God so loved the world that He sent Himself so that all may believe who He is and have eternal life. You know what it says more in John 3? Jesus did not come to condemn the world. He did not come to condemn the world. He came to reveal the Father. And as He reveals the Father, we see our brokenness. And we need Him. You see, there's two things that that happen like Adam. One is confession. God, you're right. I have this shame. I have this guilt. I don't know what to do with it. That's confession. I got it. I got it. I did it. But repentance... And all repentance means is not the prayer that you say, God, I messed up. It's saying, I don't want to do it again. I don't want to do it again. 
You see, this is where prayer begins because that's the heartbeat of the gospel. That in Jesus, He's our Savior. He's our sanctifier, healer, coming King. That He's our Savior. He saves us from the sin of this world. And He sanctifies us. He transforms us. He heals our brokenness. And our hope is that one day we will be with Him just like Adam and Eve were with no shame or guilt. Here's my hope this morning. Is that you look at the creation story. The story centered on this. That God goes to us. And all we can do is respond. All we can do is respond. He created the world and He sent Himself into the world. And that's why we come to the Lord's table. We come to the Lord's table for that reason. Because every time someone comes to the Lord's table, that's where they recognize that, that Jesus said that this is my body, this bread is, is a symbol of, my, of myself that's going to be broken for you. On the cross, yes, a gruesome, gruesome death, but even more so, not that He was broken and, and, and put on the cross, but that His blood was the covering. Remember Adam and Eve covered themselves with, with fig leaves. We don't need fig leaves. We need the blood of Jesus to cover us, to wash us of the convictions that we have, the guilt and the shame, so that we no longer live in guilt and shame. No guilt, no shame. I'm a new creation. What better way to start off the prayer season? What better way to start off the school year and here's what I want to ask you to do. Just, just bow with me. I'm not going to make you do anything weird, I promise. Think about this. Wrestle through this. Where are you? Are you fed up with thinking that God just draws near to you because, because He wants something from you? That, that He expects something from you? Do you think He hides from you because of what you've done? No. Rather, today it's the opposite. He draws near to you because of His love for you. That in our sinfulness, in our brokenness, he's saying, I want to be united just like I was with Adam and Eve in the garden. Just take for a moment, meditate on that. Meditate on that. 